Hello, my name is Kayla Sluka, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. Today, we're diving into chapter 34. Before we begin, I did want to make a little note that there is a case of sexual assault in our story today. I will be talking a little bit about the topic of sexual assault, but not too much in detail. So I just wanted you to be prepared. So let's pray before we begin. God, grant me clarity to bring only your words and not my own. Let me speak clearly and please open the ears of those who need to hear from you today. All right, so let's go ahead and read. Dinah, Leah's daughter, whom she bore to Jacob, went out to see some of the young women of the area. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hippite, a prince of the region, saw her, he took her and raped her. He became infatuated with Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young girl and spoke tenderly to her. Get me this girl as a wife, he told his father, Hamor. Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but since his sons were with his livestock in the field, he remained silent until they returned. Meanwhile, Shechem's father, Hamor, came to speak with Jacob. Jacob's sons returned from the field when they heard about the incident and were deeply grieved and angry, for Shechem had committed an outrage against Israel by raping Jacob's daughter, and such a thing should not be done. Hamor said to Jacob's sons, My son Shechem is strongly attracted to your daughter. Please give him to her as a wife. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Live with us. The land is before you. Settle here. Move about and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Grant me this favor and I'll give you whatever you say. Demand of me a high compensation and gift. I'll give you whatever you ask me. Just give the girl to me to be my wife. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. We cannot do this thing, they said. Giving our sister to an uncircumcised man is a disgrace to us. We will agree with you only on this condition. If all your males are circumcised as we are, then we will give you our daughters, take your daughters for ourselves, live with you, and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go." Their words seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man did not delay doing this because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most important in all his father's house. So Hamor and his sons Shechem went to the gate of their city and spoke to the men there. These men are peaceful toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and move about in it, for indeed the region is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as our wives and give our daughters to them. But the men will agree to live with us and be one people only on this condition, if our men are circumcised as they are. Won't their livestock, their possessions, and all their animals become ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will live with us. All the able-bodied men listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and all the able-bodied men were sec- circumcised. On the third day, they were, when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, went in the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with their swords, took Dinah from Shechem's house, and went away. Jacob's other sons came to the slaughter and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, cattle, donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. They captured all their possessions, children, and wives, and plundered everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me, making me odious to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are few in number. If they unite against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they answered, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? 
So, quite an uplifting story here. Today's story is full of tension and chaos. I always like to call Genesis Family Dysfunction 101. This scene is one of the pinnacles of that familial turmoil. We have flawed characters, generational curses, and shady business dealings. We've got big boasters, neglecting fathers, hot-headed brothers, and a young woman tossed in between. So let's set the scene. We're coming off in another incredibly tense scene in the previous chapter. Jacob and Esau reunite. Jacob fears that his brother will enact revenge after all these years, but we are pleasantly surprised when these long-lost brothers reconcile. Though the reunion is cordial, the relationship between Jacob, who would become the nation of Israel, and Esau, who would become the nation of Edom, would always harbor tension. Jacob has spent his life being deceitful and probably does not trust that his brother's charity would last. So he settles in Succoth instead. He buys a plot of land from Shechem, who we see as a major player in today's story. Another little note before we dive deeper. My husband always talks about the difference between prescription and description. I think it's really helpful when reading. So when reading the Bible, there are times that God is asking something specifically for us to do or not to do. A prescription, like a doctor would write. He is prescribing a way to do things or a way to live. On the other hand, there are times where it is simply telling a story. Description. It is a story with characters and God is neither condemning or condoning any particular action explicitly. This is really important in this story. We are at a particularly politically charged time in history, and it will be easy to assign meaning in places where the writer is simply telling the reader what happened. I am going to do my best to pull out what God has showed me without adding any of my own assumptions based in my modern cultural context. So the Bible talks about families in two ways. God's instruction for setting up a healthy environment for families to thrive in, contrasted to our own version when we step outside of that framework. In today's descriptive scene, there's a severe familial dysfunction. And it's really nothing new. We've been here since Cain killed Abel. We open with an odd scene. The writer describes the distance between Jacob, Lear, Leah, sorry, and her children by calling Dinah Leah's daughter, who she bore to Jacob. There's distance. There's tension. The father was supposed to be the figurehead and protector of the family, yet we see that Dinah is on her own in a foreign land. We don't have a lot of information on why, but the writer wants us to know that something weird is going on. Something is off in this family. Jacob, upon hearing Dinah being raped, doesn't seem to have much reaction at all. And then Simeon and Levi mirror their father's father Jacob's deceit in business dealings. They also have a severe lack of remorse and take revenge to the extreme. God's desires for healthy and unified families. And this applies to the broken ones as well. We see Jacob and Esau reuniting in the previous chapter. Today's story very clearly contrasts God's perfect desire with humanity's proclivity to operate outside of his instruction. And honestly, the result is devastating. So today's story highlights this. Humanity without God's leads to destruction. Let me say that again. Humanity without God leads to destruction. This shows up in a few ways. First of all, deception. Shechem didn't pursue Dinah until he had already taken what he wanted. He was obviously a bit of a charmer as the passage says he loved the young girl and spoke tenderly to her. Now, I'm not saying he was a good guy. What I am saying is that his view of love was severely tainted. This feels like a juxtaposition. 
He not only seems to care deeply for her, he is willing to go about the proper channels to marry her and honor her with the greatest bridal price. Was his intention to marry her all along, yet ended taking it, ended in him taking advantage of her? How can love and sexual assault exist in the same setting? Our view of love cannot exist outside of God. We get a taste, we can understand it to some extent, but it will always fall short if we are left to our own devices. Shechem's love was a consumptive view of love versus the sacrificial love that is characteristic of God. And regardless of how much Shechem perceived he loved Dinah, his actions following her abuse were nothing but deceitful. And judging from how the rest of the story unfolds, his father Hamor had similar flawed character qualities. At first glance, it seems as though Shechem wants Dinah as a wife because he is obsessed with her. But in verse 11, he asks Jacob to give her to him as a favor in exchange to bringing them into covenant with them. All the while, Dinah is still in the household of the man who raped her. It does not say if she was there on her own accord or if she was forced, but it is fair to guess that she was being used as a pawn in a larger business dealing. Jacob had been incredibly prosperous up to this point. He had many possessions and wealth. No doubt, Hamer and Shechem saw this as an opportunity to expand their investments. After agreeing to Levi and Simeon's false demands, Hamer and Shechem go back to their city to unveil their plan. They are less than forthcoming with their people. There are clearly major leaders and stakeholders among their people. They hold the sway. They lay out the plan that will be conveniently profitable for everyone. Of course, leaving out the part where Shechem had ticked off the brothers by raping Dinah. And it is in this final speech that we see his true colors shine. He wants what Jacob has. He has no intention of sharing. He says, won't their livestock, their possessions, and all their animals become ours? Now, let's not forget about Simeon and Levi. The rightfully anger, angry at their sister's demise, they took revenge to a whole new level. God had set up a covenant with Abraham. If you remember from chapter 17, he asked that the sign of this covenant be circumcision of the males. To take something as sacred as God's covenant with Abraham, to deceive an entire town, to be led to the slaughter is absolutely disgusting. They never had the intention of Dinah marrying him. Instead of demanding justice, they took justice into their own hands. There's a part of me that wants to say, that's what you get. But I mean, can we honestly say that it was justice to slaughter an entire town and plunder everything inside of it on behalf of the sin of one man? Which leads me into the second thing we see, humanity's course of destruction without God, overcalculating. Let's talk about how Jacob reacts. If there is ever a time to speak up, it would be now. If you don't act on behalf of your rape daughter, when are you going to act? This is the exact time to speak and stand up for justice. So why didn't he? If we dive into the last few verses of the passage, we get a little more insight. Verses 30 through 31 say this. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have bought trouble on me, making me odious to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are few in number. If they unite against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they answered, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Who is Jacob looking out for? Number one, Jacob isn't saying anything because he is calculating the risk of speaking up. We've already established that the family line on Leah's side were not as valued as the family line on Rachel's side. Jacob make, made it very obvious who his favorites were. 
but it is clear that Dinah is expendable enough for Jacob's endgame. Notice how, even though he's talking to his own sons, he says, my household, bring trouble on me, making me odious, attack me, 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 me. Jacob would rather stay quiet while calculating his own risk instead of seeking justice for his own daughter. How sad. When we act deceitfully, we conceal the truth. In an even darker sense, the two brothers use parts of the truth to manipulate the situation to gain control. When we focus on our own needs instead of standing for what is right, we overcalculate and take control instead of trusting God will take care of us when we stand for what he stands for. Both deception and overcalculating dominate this story because the writer is trying to communicate something to us. Humanity without God will end in destruction. Though our story is not incredibly uplifting, I hope it reminds us of how desperately we need God. This story highlights the extreme, but it portrays clearly God's plan versus our own. If we depend on ourselves and act according to what we want to be right, it will lead to a path of relational tension, abuse slash oppression of others, destruction of people, and more. But isn't it great that God wants to use us? When I read a story like this, it makes my stomach turn. But on the other hand, it encourages me that God included these stories in the Bible. You might be thinking, Kayla, why is that even encouraging? Well, because as flawed as all of these people are in this story, to the most extreme of extremes, God still uses them to make his name known. Of course, there were consequences of their actions, and you'll read a few of them tomorrow. But when we are faithful to repent... There is truly no person that God cannot use. He values women. He values men. He values justice. He has a plan. And it sure as heck is better than ours if we stay close to him in obedience. So let's pray. Lord God, I just pray that you would encourage um, encourage us today and show us that we truly need you. And in your kindness, lead us to repentance. Let us see that without you, our path leads to destruction. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you for always being willing to use us despite the destruction we have created in the past and that you can mend those broken relationships and those broken paths. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a really great day.